C3, Connecting Coaches Cognition, Coaching with Courtney and Christensen. As a busy coach, you spend all day refueling, revamping, and reflecting with educators. Now is the time to stop and recharge your batteries with some much-needed coaching for the coach. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 1 of C3, Connecting Coaches Cognition. I'm Courtney Groskin, and I'm kind of here with Violet Christensen. We're actually in the same building, but at a distance. Together in spirit. There may not be many things in the world right now that are consistent, but you can count on us each month. We want to thank you so much for all of your support during Season 1. We're thrilled to be back with Season 2. Violet, what's new in your world? What's new in my world? Well, just being out in the world is new and fun. And, um, you know, I guess the one really fun, bright point of my summer, besides just having extra time with my girls, was uh, my husband spoiled me for my eighth anniversary with a new vehicle. So I got a a new big truck. So now I'm the truck mom, which I kind of (laughs) love. I'm sure your girls love the big truck. Yes, they have big windows and more than enough room. So they should fit in there for quite some time, which it's just, it's fun to have a new thing that they get excited to just go for a drive, right? Yeah. And in these uncertain times, you can always get in your car and socially distance that way. That's a great way to spend some time. Exactly. We tend to go on drives and look for all the animals. They just got to find all the the farm animals around on the side of the road here in Northern Colorado with cows, the horses, everything. But what have you been up to, Courtney? How's it going in your world? Good. Just a lot of gardening and staying at home, spending time with pickles. She's loving life. Um, The weather has been beautiful here. And just, you know, trying to get every ounce of sunshine and summer in that we possibly can. And now we're back to work. Absolutely. I'm sure Pickles is trying to adjust uh, with less mom time now. Yeah, definitely. We're going through transitional period. Little girls, dogs, it's, it's, you know, everybody's adjusting right now, right? Yeah, I think 2020 is the year of flexibility and transitions, right? Yes, I actually uh, proposed to my team that our spirit animal this year should be Gumby because we're so flexible and we pivot so well. (laughs) So true. I know, you know, on a more serious note, we've gone through a couple different school plans here. Violet, how are you managing, you know, that with two little kids at home? Um, I will be honest that it's not been an easy road. It hasn't really been an easy road for anyone, I don't think. Um, my daughters, um, for background knowledge, I have a two and a four-year-old who will be three and five here next month. And so one was supposed to be starting kindergarten and one was super excited to go to big girl school and start pre-K, um, with her sister at the big girl school. So, um, you know, we, we kind of have adjusted and talked about, okay. And they, they keep waiting to go back to school. They've asked me every day since March 12th, when can we go to school? When get to see my teacher? Um, so we really were counting down and getting excited since it initially seemed like we were going to go back at least in elementary full time. Um, and then we scaled back and we adjusted when we were going to go more to a hybrid model of every other day. And, you know, my daughter didn't love that, but she was still excited. She got to go to school and she at school. And then um, just within the last 24 hours, we've gone to the point where we'll be at a full hybrid to start. And I was just laying the breadcrumbs for that last night of, you know, you might be at home with mommy and we might be doing some learning together. And um, they were very excited about being with mommy, but I don't think that the realization of maybe not being in school um, 
could be really tricky for them. And so just trying to um, prepare them for the, the various different information where it just came to us right now um, and all of us were inferring, but I think those kiddos are just trying to deal with the whiplash, if you will. So you've been really intentional about keeping open dialogue and open communication, even though your girls are at a young age. Absolutely. I think you just, for me, I've always just really wanted to be open and honest with them and explain things in a way that makes sense to them. Um, we even took, <laughs> we even took the time to drive up to Evergreen to see my folks and like hand sew masks because they, I wanted it to be fun. I wanted them to have happy memories with that if they had to live in a masked environment. Um, so they were so excited to wear their Stella Star, you know, um, mask or their flower mask that Grammy made them. But unfortunately, they just may not have that same opportunity right now. And um, even trying to make hard situations fun, you know, we were trying to get there, but we're just going to pivot again. We're going to pivot and we're going to um, have more conversations together to help them process. So you're really showing resiliency and trying to elevate those moments of making memories and turning, you know, something that might be a sour lemon into more of a lemonade moment for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We keep talking about how we can't control the world and we can't control germs, but we can control what we do within our time and space and that we can make the most of those times. And I have really just enjoyed watching them gain new skills. Like the other day they learned how to catch frogs. I mean, and I, I don't think I could have caught one of the frogs they were catching. They were tiny. And so just watching them develop in other ways and continuing to help them process their feelings. And it's interesting um, always when you when we're coaching and so on, it comes to me, but um, how much I had to do a lot of coaching with them, even at two and four um, throughout this time, a lot of emotional content paraphrase. I will say it probably only works about half the time with two-year-olds. So keeping in mind, you know, you talked about the things that you've put in place to help the girls with the transition. What are some things looking forward? I know we've coached about self-care. What things might you put in place to keep yourself seen? I will say this has been quite a roller coaster for me, and I was not the best example of self-care. Um, I was very good at reminding teachers, and then they would turn around and remind me, and um, I was not always very good at that. So I really have sat down even just with my husband recently to set some really solid goals that we can control, like just getting up a half hour earlier to work out. Um, I've been doing some Shanties, you know, hip hop abs, why not do something different, mix it up. So I've just been trying to find um, intentionally my quiet time in the morning before all of the pressures of the world, whether that be family work, um, personal start to weigh down. Um, and just make sure I put that first in my day. And that tends to calibrate me to have a better, more positive focus day moving forward. So carving at that time for you to get your head right is really going to lead you for success for the rest of your day. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we talked about work-life balance in the past. Um, now that you might have your children at work or you know, your workspace may look different. Uh, what are some ways that you can, you know, help yourself stay focused during this time? Um, I, For me, it's really small reminders. It's whether it's setting an alarm on my phone. Um, I have a phone that, alarm that goes off at 7 p.m. That's like the no phone zone. Everything goes away from seven till they go to bed. I think I've mentioned that before. I also just set reminders in my phone sometimes just to remember to eat lunch or just go take a break and go outside because, I get moving too quickly. And then 
I let everything, the pressure of the things that need to get done outweigh me stopping and recalibrating to have good cognition. Um, so just some of those small tactics. One that I have is just notes that I put for myself. So for instance, on my laptop, I just wrote in pencil, be the lighthouse. And if I can just remember to be the lighthouse, I have to keep the light shining bright in order to be that lighthouse. So I have to make sure to recharge myself. Yeah. So it's really important that you keep yourself in check and keep yourself going in order to be there and show up for other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how has this conversation helped you today? I think it's nice to just see the progression. If I think back all the way to the point when we were speaking with Elena Aguilar or Joe Cappadonia um, this spring, I was hearing their words, but I wasn't always taking their message um, and actualizing it um, and, and being actionable. And so I feel like finally with at least a small sliver of summer to recharge, I was able to um, take the time to to make concrete goals and actually build some routines about those goals um, when I wasn't running a million miles a minute. So just again, as we keep saying, going back to that cognitive coaching of just having the time and space to be able to reflect back and see how far you've come. Definitely. Thank you. We are so excited to be launching season two with Jim Knight. Jim has spent more than two decades studying professional learning, effective teaching, and instructional coaching. He is a founding senior partner of the Instructional Coaching Group and a research associate at the University of Kansas Center for Research on Learning. Hello, Dr. Knight. Thank you so much for being here with us today. How are you doing today? Well, all things considered, things are going pretty well. Thanks. That's awesome. We are truly honored to have you here with us today. And you are such a guru in instructional coaching and building coaching connections. We have read volumes of your work, studied as a team, and really implemented to the best of our abilities. Uh, Jim, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got your start in coaching and also just your educational road? Sure. So um, I, I taught English mostly in community college. I taught writing in particular. And, uh, but I also taught, uh, literature courses and, um, all kinds of things living in Toronto. And, uh, I ended up being basically the special ed teacher, even though I had no idea what special ed was and, uh, or at least learning disabilities. And I mean, I really had never heard of the term when I started to teach and, uh, I ended up getting certified as a special ed teacher, taking the same certification as high school teachers. I mean, the same program. And um, I started to use these strategies. A friend of mine who became a friend, Dee LaFrance, introduced me to these strategies from the University of Kansas for teaching students with learning disabilities. I'm afraid this is a long story, but I don't know how to make it concise. I was thinking, how can I make this more concise? And uh, the strategies were great. And um, I, uh, I mean, we did a study where we analyzed it, and the results were unmistakably positive. And so, um, you know, when you see results for kids who have struggled, you want other people to learn about it. So I became a um, trainer. I came to Kansas from Toronto, and I was certified as a strategic instruction model professional developer. And I would go do workshops, and it was just really clear that although people liked the strategies, the implementation was pretty much zero. So at that time, Michael Fullen was at the University of Toronto. Uh, he's probably the world-leading expert on change. 
graciously met with me a number of times. I took a course with him, but he gave me an independent study. And he read, got me reading a number of books and also all of his work. He was writing Change Forces then. And uh, he got me really thinking about what to take to change. And so then I went to Kansas uh, to do my doctorate, not really sure what it was going to do. I was studying English. I had a, I passed my comps in English literature, and then I had to do the comps all over again in, in education. And uh, came to Kansas, and I decided I wanted to study um, change. And we were sitting around a table. We had this grant. Um, I wanted to study what it would take to get practices in place. We had this grant, which was about technology teachers using more inclusive teaching practices. And somebody at the table, I can't remember who it was, but they said, uh, one of us said, um, you know, if we want the teachers to do it, we're going to have to go in the classroom, or we're going to have to model it, and we're going to meet with them and talk about it, and they're going to have to have some control over how it works. I mean, the workshop's not going to lead to implementation. And one of us said, well, if that's true for this grant, wouldn't it be true for all the other professional development? Why don't we do it the rest of the time? And then that idea was sort of the nascent moment when we started to talk about, um, we didn't use those words in, but instructional coaching. So we had a thing called, first off, I referred to the person as, uh, in 1998, I wrote a paper on, um, I, I use the term learning consultant. And then I thought, well, consultant isn't really a good word. It's kind of like hierarchical. So then we shifted to instructional collaborator, 1999. We got gear up funding for instructional collaborators. And then 2003, I wrote a paper for, uh, uh, the journal staff development. And, um, I thought, and they accepted it and on instructional collaborators. When I got it back, I thought, Oh, I think I should use the term instructional coach, send it back as instructional coach. A couple of years later, I wrote the book, Constructional Coaching, and sort of just evolved like that, sort of bit by bit. Oh, talk about a total evolution and a, being a change maker. Um, that's so interesting to hear about your thought process and being in so intentional about your use of the words and arriving at Instructional Coach. Truly fascinating. Fascinating. What is your metaphor for coaching? Okay, so... I've been thinking about this. I ask that question all the time. So I've heard lots of different ones. Um, uh, so do either of you watch Doctor Who? Do you know Doctor Who? I know it slightly. I wouldn't, I'm not a big fan, but right. I have seen a few of well, it. So Doctor Who is a really ingenious uh, science fiction program. And so during quarantine, uh, we've watched it every night. So we've been home and we go down like nine o'clock. We watch one program. We've been sort of watching the evolution from the ninth doctor. Now we're just at the end of the 10th doctor and there's 13 doctors. And uh, the doctor transports around in this thing called the TARDIS. And the TARDIS is an old, what's called a policeman's box. It's a blue box. And um, so uh, that's my metaphor and, or my analogy, I guess a metaphor or a simile any rate, um, so the thing about the TARDIS is, uh, I mean, a lot of people who talk about coaching, they use metaphors like uh, the coach itself, the idea of a coach, like a horse-drawn coach that would take you from here to there. I think Costa and Garmston use that metaphor in cognitive coaching, and it's a, it's a process to take you somewhere. And then some people see themselves as a Sherpa, helping people climb mountains, and they're providing some kind of support. And there are various ways in which people talk about change, but the TARDIS takes you 
ahead in time, back in time, to anywhere in the world, to the end of the universe, to the end of the end of the universes, to everywhere, which is more than a coach can do. But a coach can take you to some pretty incredible places. But the other thing about the TARDIS is it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. So when you look at it, it's maybe six feet by six feet by six feet. But when you go inside, it's huge. And it's fact infinite. There are all these other rooms. And so to me, coaching looks simple on the outside. But on the inside, it's incredible. You can keep going deeper and deeper and getting better and better. You never reach the point where you say, okay, I've got this figured out. There's always another thing you can learn to improve. There's another thing you can do. So coaching, like the TARDIS, it's more complex on the inside than it is on the outside. So that's my, that's my metaphor. What a fantastic metaphor for coaching. I love the idea of the TARDIS. It's just because I'm it's, watching Doctor Who every day. That's all. Well, I've never seen it, but when I'm listening to you and trying to envision that, it's so powerful of thinking you go into a coaching conversation and you have no idea which direction it might go that day. You might have inferences, but really that coachee is guiding you and you don't know if you're going past, present, future, sideways, upwards, downwards, right? Um, so gosh, what a powerful metaphor. I love that. Thank you. I'm going to carry that with me. <laughs> Tell me, Jim, a little bit more. There are, especially with this idea of the TARDIS and going any direction, there are so many unknowns with the openings of schools or the non-opening of schools or the hybrid of schools in this moment. How do you feel we can best coach educators during this time? Well, I don't know that I can give you a best um, because it's such unpredictable times. But I'll tell you what my response is. Um, it's sort of two parts. One part is what's the coach actually do? And then one part is the social-emotional part. And I think let's start with the social-emotional. I think uh, these are complex emotional times. And people are dealing with all kinds of trauma that they're not even conscious of. And so are all the people in their network around them dealing with that kind of trauma. And some people are really worried about or grieving, you know, but really worried about people's health. Um, and they're worried about their own health. And then some people have uh, partners who've lost their income, lost their job. Some of them are worried about their job. Their job is redefined. And then we don't know, is there going to be a, a, a vaccine? you know, August 1st, or is it going to be August 1st, 2022? We, we don't, or ever, you know, we don't know what's the future hold. And so all those things mean that, you know, it's hard enough to be emotionally intelligent in the best of times, but now people have got all this sort of, for lack of better terms, weight to carry around. So I think, um, I think what you've got to do is you've got to recognize that when people come to you and they're angry and they're frustrated and they're worried and the, and all that stuff that it you want to say it's okay it's not you they're mad at it's the time and so i think we have to start with compassion and we have to direct it not just towards other people but towards ourselves people are kristen neff's wonderful book on self-compassion she she says we're way harder on ourselves than we would ever be on other people, and we should treat each other ourselves with the same compassion we would treat other people. And so I think we have to have compassion for others and compassion for ourselves, and we have to have the willingness to be not perfectionist to say, oh well, that didn't work out. Let's see what we got tomorrow. You know, 
And in terms of what you do, I sort of see three categories. And honestly, these categories could change tomorrow. But as we're defining what, what it does, we're doing more sort of online coaches co- courses around this, that a coach can be one of three things. And they can be a mentor. And a mentor could be like a short-term support or a long-term support. But a mentor is someone who has expertise you don't have, and they're helping you learn how to do something. Sometimes that's a long-term thing, short-term thing. But for example, if I need to learn how to do Flipgrid, I don't want the coach to say to me, um, well, at other times when you've had to learn how to use software, what's worked for you? I want him to show me how to do it. Just help me do the darn thing. And so to me, that would be in a mentoring category, but in a Another mentoring category would be someone who's got a lot of experience with distance learning. And I go to them every week and I say, here's what I did. What do you think? And it's not a coaching conversation, but it's a mentoring conversation. The second thing is I think that uh, coaches are going to be trainers. And so they're going to be helping people learn how to use Padlet or how to use um, Flipgrid or how to use uh, Menti or whatever it might, Mentimeter. And so um, they're just going to do workshops. They're going to help you learn how to do it. They're going to train people on how to do things. Sometimes that's going to be groups. Sometimes it's going to be one-to-one. And then the third thing is coaching, which is where they're helping a person reflect deeply on what's working in their classroom, setting goals, and helping them move forward and choose how they're going to integrate effective teaching practices, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And so those goals might start out being about engagement, um, but ultimately, they'll probably be about achievement. But at, right now, even just defining the goals is really going to be a big help for coaches. But they can help teachers have goals. So, And there's porous boundaries between those things, like training and mentoring. There's quite a bit of overlap. And uh, mentoring and coaching, there's quite a bit of overlap. And also training, you know, at some parts, an instructional coach is going to help a person learn. So, but anyway, I see us jumping between those three. We need to be prepared for those three things, coaching, training, mentoring because given the unpredictability of the situation people need help with all those things i love the reminder to coach with compassion i kind of as you were talking about all the things we kind of need to be ready for in the different roles took you know a deep breath and realized that's right like if we coach with compassion that's the best thing that we can offer teachers right now and even ourselves amongst uh, coaches because we're all going through this unknown together I found it powerful that you decided to put that first as well, Jim, that you you believe so strongly in those other three roles, but that you always put the SEL and the social emotional first and the self-care. Yeah, I think that's our number one job is to make people feel okay. Well, I don't know if we can make them feel okay, but let them know that from our perspective, they're okay, you know. So knowing that we potentially may have to go digital with our jobs, do you have any tips or strategies for coaching digitally? Well, I don't know that it's much different outside of the fact that it's within those three categories, you know, that, and in even those categories, there's probably other things I'm missing, but, uh, I think, I think, uh, I wouldn't give up on coaching. It may be quicker. You may have a much quicker coaching cycle. Um, I think, uh, I mean, for me, the first thing is, well, the way I look at coaching, there's a set of beliefs, there's a process you follow, there's knowledge you need to have. And then there's uh, coaching techniques, coaching skills. So you need to be a good listener. You have to ask good questions. That's the skills. The strategic knowledge is different now. Now the, the, the coach has to understand uh, technology. We created a uh, – I had – I know it's one of your questions later on, but there's this uh, 
distance learning playbook that has a lot of tools. And I think a coach needs to understand what are the high leverage practices you can use that are technology-based. But a lot of it's effective instruction. You know, cooperative learning, you can redefine cooperative learning for distance learning. At least things like Jigsaw could easily be used in group group situations. And um, yeah, so I think it's still pretty much the same. It's still the same four categories, but you have a different set of strategic knowledge and a different set of practices to share. And it sounds like a lot of that is wrapped up in the flexibility, Jim. That's what I keep hearing in your in your explanations of being flexible in this time and meeting people where they are, but still holding true those core coaching values. Yeah, I, I think um, flexible, but, you know, when we did a study on the characteristics of effective coaches, when we went to, we started with 2,000 coaches in Florida and narrowed it down to six. And we interviewed the people who work with the coach. One of the things that was common amongst all of those people is that the coach, all the six coaches was that they had really helpful things to give the teachers to help them do their job. And, and we need to be doing, you know, coaches really are going to have to be learners right now so they can help people learn how to do these things. Absolutely. I keep seeing that idea of this is year one for everyone in this new modality and that we're all going to be learning and growing together. And Along that vein, Jim, tell us, what do you see as one of those biggest obstacles in coaching, and how do you try to work around that? Okay, I'm not even sure I can really say this clearly, but, um, and there are, you know, there's going to be lots of obstacles, but um, uh, the thing I would say is, uh, how to put this, um, that people don't understand how important it is to treat teachers as professionals. And so they, they, they want a solution and it's no one's fault. I'm not blaming anyone here. It's just, you don't, you do what you know how to do, but, um, they want a solution, but, uh, um, and so they figure like, I'm going to solve the problem and tell everybody else they have to do it, but that doesn't work. Uh, what works with professionals, and there's a body of research, DC and Ryan in particular, but this says that, you know, control is not a really good model for change. But what does seem to work is um, is honoring the autonomy of the other professional. And so pe people have always done things the same way. And when you say to them, I think you need to make sure your teachers have a lot of choice but that doesn't fit into their model of how things are supposed to work. Now, what's supposed to happen is downtown, we come up with a plan, and then we scale the plan, and everybody should be doing more or less the same things. And Or even though they're going to have a lot of discretion, there, there's a very clear sense of we're going to figure out, here's the standards, here's the curriculum. Our job is to make sure you do it the right way. And if people don't have a voice and choice and autonomy, you won't get commitment. And I understand it's hard to see, well, how do we fit is autonomy? Autonomy sounds like you're saying, oh, so there's going to be no coherence and people can not work if you, they don't want to. No. I mean, autonomy is not inconsistent with coherence. You can have, in fact, if you want true coherence, you need to have people having a voice and say and choice. And similarly, you know, uh, autonomy isn't saying you can opt out. Everybody has to improve. It's just saying uh, the person who is in the classroom should have a say over what happens in the classroom, a big say in what happens. So uh, I wrote this article for Ed Leadership last year on autonomy. 
And um, so if you just Google November 2019 autonomy, Jim Knight, you can find it. And to me, that's a really, really important part. And it's, it's not that people don't want to respect teachers and nobody's, there's no nasty intent. Everybody wants what's best for kids. Maybe not everybody, but 98%. Um, uh, and, and they're trying to figure out their own way, but, but because people don't understand uh, the, this complexity of, uh, of the, the necessity of autonomy, I think that's, that's a big – and if you make coaching it just like go in there and tell you what you did right and what you did wrong, it's not going to be effective and people aren't going to like it and then it's, gonna, it's not going to happen. It has to be you're a professional, I'm a professional, let's engage in a dialogue about how to move it forward. And then, then we still share practices, but we share them in a way that leads to commitment instead of just compliance, I guess. So like I said, it's not that clear. I haven't got it clearly articulated because there's, there's a lot involved, but – that to me, the biggest roadblock is our failure to recognize the importance of seeing teachers as professionals and treating them as professionals. I wish everyone in our community could hear that message from you, Jim. Well, get it out there. Broadcast. We're working on it. We're excited to have you. I'm just enthralled hearing your speaking. I'm just loving it. <laughs> well, it would help if I could be more clear because it it is a complex thing and I have to find simpler ways to understand it because people aren't the intent for good is definitely there in everybody's actions. In fact, because you have such a strong, you know, will for good, um, sometimes it interferes with the capacity to learn because we're driven to get with the thing that we know is right because we know what's best for kids. But, but I don't know. I don't think, and <clears throat> to really understand a professional discourse is an important thing. What does it sound like when two people are professionals when they talk to each other? That's huge. Um, we're working on modeling that more, you know, modeling coaching and letting teachers kind of look in um, to that professional conversation to see what it's really about. But that's definitely a goal for us in the upcoming year is that transparency of professional conversation. Um, I know you created the distance learning playbook. Can you tell us more about this and what other things you have on the horizon? I'm so glad you asked that. <clears throat> because I did not create it. Um, what I did is I put a message out on Twitter and I said, has anybody created a distance learning playbook? Cause I could sure use one. And then a group of people came together. Uh, uh, Courtney Teague, uh, whom I've been working with on other projects recently. Um, Kathy Perrett and Joy Lunsford from uh, Texas. And they led the charge and they brought together a, a group of people that they met on social media. We had people from around the world, people from India were a part of the project. And that group created it. All I did was have the idea. And then I showed up for a couple of minutes, kind of like, you know, a figurehead and uh, to like bless the project or something. <laughs> but everybody else did the work. My amount of work was like less than, less than 0.5%, like less than 1% uh, compared to what everybody else did. And so what happened is people came together, they created an instructional playbook. So they did use our framework for how to organize this because we think an instructional playbook is really key for coaches. And uh, first off, they listed all the possible technology tools you could use for distance learning. They came up with a list of 100, and then they narrowed it down to 20, 10 from Google and then 10 other kinds of things. And then they developed one-page summaries and checklists, and, and it's free. If you Google uh, or search for the distance learning playbook, now there's another one, and I haven't read it yet, but I just skimmed it. it looks like it's going to be a really valuable resource by Fisher and Fry and Hattie. And uh, 
that's uh, but the one I'm describing, the only advantage to it is it's free and you can put it on your website, you can share it however you want. We want people to use it. And so um, it's a free, accessible document. And if you just search for it, you should be able to find it eventually. One more example of the power of social media and pulling amazing resources like instructional coaches from all over the world together to help strengthen our educational system moving forward this year. Like, it just blows my mind how amazing these connections are and what can come out of them. You know what I would say about that is what what blew my mind um, is here are these people Thursday night, 730, 70 of them or more sometimes, sometimes less. And they would stay late. I mean, they would work and they're not getting paid and they're creating something that's free and they're just doing it because they know everybody's needing this stuff. And so let's get it together. And I was so inspired and continue to be so inspired by the group and their names are all listed on the first page who created it. But um, yeah, it's kind of amazing that they, you know, people think of, they don't necessarily see how much work goes into teaching and how much of it's driven by moral purpose. But every one of these people came only came because they wanted to help other people. And those are the kind of stories that we need the general public to be hearing of the power and compassion and dedication within education so that they can really treat them like professionals, like you were referencing earlier. Mm. Yeah. Just so powerful when they can hear, hear that dedication and drive and see the compassion that teachers put in every single day and coaches. Um, I, I, I want to kind of continue that theme, Jim, and, and ask you, you've been hosting so many webinars, and even if you're just the, the blessed figurehead, as you said, um, your influence goes so far and pulls so many people together between webinars and Zoom PLCs and so many other ways. What do you do to try to remain mindful and present when you're approaching these various coaching conversations in COVID times? And how have you adapted and how do you make sure to take care of you in that as well? Well, taking care of me is pretty easy in that particular context because I'm so grateful for what people share. Um, you know, I just heard really wonderful things. Uh, Michael Bungay Stanier's comments about always being curious and not being, uh, not giving into the, the desire to give people advice. People are way more interested in giving advice than receiving it. Last week, uh, Man, I mean, Art Costa and Bob Garnston. Art said that he's he's just about to celebrate his 67th wedding anniversary. I mean, they've been doing this work for a long time. And uh, and then Garnston, you know, really beautifully talked about how important listening is, and what it looks like, and these kind of descriptions. And then uh, Zaretta Hammond really, and Natasha Sistrunk Robinson, both of them really pushed me to understand that historical context for understanding equity, which um, I've kind of not taken enough time to do. I've usually just said, well, I'm from Canada, so it's not my con, but it is my context now. And so they took me to task and I learned from them. So, so the people have uh, like um, given me gifts in terms of their knowledge. And so it's not hard to stay energized because I can't wait to hear what they're going to say. And I'm very fortunate to talk to, you know, Sheila Heen was another one who, Every one of them has been great. Kim Richardson's one on um, uh, sort of being emotionally uh, healthy while coaching. I think her 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 topic was uh, something like staying emotionally healthy during COVID nineteen. 
um, she had so many great ideas that I hadn't even, some of them I knew known, but I had sort of forgotten about. So she was great. Like one of the ones she talked about was that, uh, when you look at Martin Seligman's work on uh, optimism, that we start to get depressed if we think something is permanent or we think it's personal. And so it's really important as we work with people to say, look, this virus is not here forever. You know, we're not still dealing with the Spanish flu. We will get over it. We'll get back to something more like normal. It's not permanent. And it's also not your fault. So, um, so that, that, and then in terms of listening, well, the truth is in terms of being present, every one of the people I talk to at some point is going to say, it's important to listen and be present. So I kind of keep getting reminded to do it, you know, like when Art. Art Costa and Bob Garnston are talking about how important it is to listen. I'm like, I better like sit up straight and listen more carefully. So another one that was really wonderful was Christian Van Neuerberg, who's a great friend of mine. And he's taught me more about listening than anybody. So it was, you know, it's kind of like, I, I'm really learning every week. It's really a lot of fun. And the purpose of those things is I try to be out of it. I just want to shine a light on the other person's ideas. Um, you know, I, I try to, keep myself out of the conversation as much as possible. Those are all fabulous things. I love that your bucket's getting filled from all of these people within your network. I mean, you fill our bucket. It's been such an exciting summer getting to listen to all these webinars and learn new things that we can put into practice. It's truly been an amazing experience. What other things do you have on the horizon? Where can we learn more from you? <laughs> well, um, you know, the Radical Learners blog is kind of our first place to share things. Next week, um, on the next interview, this like this this Thursday is on the instructional playbook. I argue that every coach should have an instructional playbook, and it's with the co-authors. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Michelle Harris, Ann Hoffman, and Sharon Thomas. Um, uh, there's a bunch more. There's one coming up in August on motivational interviewing, which I think is kind of like fundamental to understanding the theoretical foundations for coaching. I think motivational interviewing would be really wonderful. One. I've got one with um, uh, some really fantastic authors uh, talking about giving presentations. So I'm really excited about that. And so there, just in terms of that particular thing, the Facebook interviews, there are a lot of exciting things coming and uh, our conference is coming up in October. It's called the teaching learning coaching conference. And uh, it's really about being a coach world renowned experts like Michael Bungay Stanier and Christian Van Neuerberger, Neuerberg, I was calling Berger uh, and uh, Steve Barkley and uh, just a whole host of great coaching mission, Megan, Megan Tashana Moran, but there's also a big equity theme. And so, Ibram X. Kendi and Zaretta Hammond and Natasha Sinstrunk Robinson and many others will be helping us think deeply about, you know, how do we address um, equity uh, as coaches and how do we, I won't go into all the details, but there's a lot of things to think about with respect to that and to say that uh, the status quo is no longer acceptable and we need to change. A lot has to change. And then uh, there's a book I'm working on right now on um, seven success factors for coaching. A big part of it right now, what I'm right in the midst of like, this week is the leadership part, how you lead yourself and how you lead other people. And so leadership is about leading yourself, is about how you manage your time and how you develop habits of practice. So there are a lot of, a lot of after that, there, there'll be a whole book on leadership. So there's, there's uh, a lot coming for sure. 
that makes me super excited that I'll be able to delve even deeper into your works and be able to fill in my calendar. I'll be knocking on my boss's door saying we have some conferences we need to book time for. So <laughs> I am super excited to jump in with you, Jim, right. and learn more, especially with equity and diversity and your leadership and public speaking. Those all sound incredible. And we are so lucky for you sharing your time with us. And before we go to rapid fire questions, I had one more question for you that I always truly appreciated in job interviews. And um, I just wanted to know, is there anything that we've not asked you that you find imperative to share with our listeners? Or what did do we need to hear from you that we haven't heard already? Hmm. Well, I think... Uh... I think uh, fundamental to coaching, um, there are some big truths about life. And, uh, and so what you're doing as a coach, first off, is, uh, and this is the idea of it's bigger on the inside, um, you're really trying to become better able to have conversations to lead to, you know, I call them life-giving conversations. The opposite of ones that suck the life right out of you. <laughs> And so one thing a coach does is a coach um, a coach helps people have those conversations. And then they can sometimes help it across the whole school. That's the purpose of better conversations is to give people tools so they can have conversations that really um, are grounded in what John Crownapple calls respecting the dignity of the other person. And then the, another big idea is that learning is fundamental to life. And uh, coaches, and that's what they do. They help teachers learn so more students can learn. And so if you make a list of what are the five most important things in life, probably your relationships and being a learner are on the top five. And then the, another one is coaches help people tap into their purpose. You know, um, Parker Palmer writes beautifully about the divided life and the undivided life. And a divided life is one where you have a set of beliefs and values or a way you want to live and you're not living it. Well, a coach, if you're teaching, chances are you went into teaching to make a difference. And a coach can help you remember that purpose and, and, and live according it. So coaches, I think, you know, what makes coaching so cool, and it's not just rhetorical. I think it's truly true, is relationships, learning, purpose. These are, these are really, really fundamentally important things. And when we have schools where people relate to each other in life-giving ways, and there's a really deep commitment to learning on the part of everyone, and there's a sense that the purpose that drives our work is much bigger than us and really, really important, well, then you've got a pretty freaking awesome school. you know. And so that's what coaches are doing, I think, is those things. I'm so glad I stopped to ask that question because I can feel educators just welling up with pride listening to your words, or at least I am. So thank you for sharing that with us. Well, they should feel proud. It's a, such an, a, an important thing. You know, I was really uh, taken by Indiana where they, they, they made the teacher of the year, every teacher in the state. I thought, well, good for you because this has been a year where we should recognize teachers, you know. Exactly. Absolutely. We're going to move into the rapid fire questions. So in 30 seconds or less, what is your tagline or bumper sticker for coaching? Okay. Well, I, this is a, for our company. Our tagline would be um, excellent instruction every day in every class for every student everywhere. Everywhere meaning Tanzania and uh, uh, 
South America or wherever. It's everywhere and it's every student. And excellent instruction means they're inspired, they're empowered, they're becoming more than they were when they showed up. So yeah, that's our tagline. Excellent instruction everywhere for every student. <laughs> I think I just messed it up. Excellent instruction for in, in every class, for every student, every day, everywhere. Awesome. You need a, a large truck to put that on. Violet, that will fit right. right on the back of your truck. There you go. There you go. <laughs> What's your secret coaching superpower or go-to move? Ooh, uh, probably listening. Uh, I think, I don't know that it's secret, but I don't, I don't think that, uh, I think you, you have to be a great listener to, to be a great coach. I don't know if I use this analogy, but I say listening is, listening is to coaching like skating is to ice hockey. You can't, you can't play hockey unless you can skate, can't coach unless you're a listener. That is beautiful. And every time I think we need that reminder, like you said, of being the good listener, hearing repetitively because it's a perishable skill if we don't continuously practice it it's hard absolutely you have been unbelievable today jim and there are so many unbelievable nuggets within this podcast that i just want to write down short quotes to remind myself later and i know our listeners will feel the same way and we are unbelievably appreciative of everything that you're putting out there and how you're rallying the troops to help support education this year and every year but we truly appreciate it oh Thanks. Don't be strangers. Posted on what's happening. We're always we're always trying to create learning partnerships with people who are parts of our research in many different ways. So don't be strangers either one of you. We definitely won't. We love being part of the Educators PLC with you, and we will continue to learn and grow with you in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Jim had so many insightful and amazing things to say. I know he really touched me with his uh, coach with compassion this year. And it made me think of the quote, relationships before rigor, grace before grades, patience before programs, and love before lessons by Brad Johnson. Uh, we don't know. We're all going into uncharted territory as we begin this 2020-21 school year. You know, we're here to support you. And we wish you the best of luck. And as my very first principal used to say, he used to say it for the day, but make it a great year or not. The choice is yours, and we hope you can make it a great year. Thanks for listening to another episode of C3.